Welcome to this pop-up podcast series, Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. And you can download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. It's an awesome ebook filled with great advice from all of our authors. Download it at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre. This episode, we're talking to Kim Wilkins. Kim is an award-winning writer of children's, historical, and speculative fiction. Under her pen name, Kimberly Freeman, she also writes commercial women's fiction. Her latest book is Sisters of the Fire, the second in her Blood and Gold series, with a third due out in 2019. Now, Kim is one busy woman. She has published more than 20 books, is a university professor, and has a young family. How does she fit it all in? Well, you'll find out in this interview that she did with Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre, and you'll also learn how writing a book is like making a lasagna. Really. Dr Kim Wilkins is a Senior Lecturer in Writing, Editing and Publishing at the University of Queensland and the author of more than 20 novels for adults and children. She writes across genres under two names, Kim Wilkins for award-winning children's historical and speculative fiction and the pen name Kimberly Freeman for her hugely popular women's fiction and maintains two blogs slash websites, one for each. Kim has two books out this year, one for each of her personalities. Kim Wilkins is bringing out Daughters of the Storm in November and Kimberly Freeman has Evergreen Falls coming out in September. So welcome, Kim. Hi. <laughs> I'm exhausted after just reading that, let alone doing yeah, it. Yeah, I'm a little exhausted too. <laughs> well, so the first question I have to ask you is how do you fit it all in? Because as well as lecturing and writing under two names, you also have a young family. Uh-huh. Where do you find the time for all this? Well, I, I don't watch television. Maybe that's it. <laughs> I um. <laughs> when everyone, I, I'm the only person in the Western world who's never seen Breaking Bad. No, um, you're not, because I and, haven't either. Oh, okay, and, not, and nor do I watch Game of Thrones, oh, which okay. people think is incredibly weird. But um, so I don't watch television. I, I actually don't know how I do it all. I think one of the things that um, I would say though is that my writing is my hobby. It's the thing I like to do best in the world. So it's not sort of another thing to fit into my day. Um, it's, oh, I've had a really crap day, so I'm going to go and write for a while and that'll sort me out. Right. So um, that maybe that's just that. Maybe it's simply that little shift of perspective. Um, and obviously I have a lot of crap days because I write a lot. <laughs> you certainly do. Do you, um, do you write every day? Are you, are you a habitual writer in the sense of do you get up at five o'clock every morning and do your hour or how does it I, You know what? I used to do that. I used to be five o'clock up I'd get, I'd do my thousand words and I'd have my breakfast. But then I had kids. And <laughs> that doesn't so work that, anymore. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. I just write when I can and um, I make time to write um uh, I make time to write when I can. I um I am a habitual writer when I'm working on a project. I'm not working on a project at the moment. I'm not putting words down on a project at the moment. I'm in the sort of research and planning phase of a project. Right. Um but when I am writing, I will just yeah, yeah, I'll do it in in chunks. So I've got this fabulous program called Freedom 
which locks ah, you out of the internet. Okay, yeah. Yep. So I'll put that on. I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to write for two hours and I'll put it on for two hours and I'll write as much as I can in that two hours. And it's usually a significant amount. Um, so that's kind of how I do it. Okay. By locking myself out of the internet. <laughs> and not watching television. There you and go. The secrets television. to writing success. Don't watch TV <laughs> or, or look at the internet. Um, I, I look, I, I, I got Foxtel earlier this year. What a waste of money that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how did you come to publish your first book, which is The Infernal, back in 1997? How did yeah, that come about for you? 1997, so long ago now. It's a long time, isn't it? Um, well, I'd been writing for a long time. So, The Infernal wasn't the first book I wrote. It was just the first book I published. I think I have about 10 unpublished manuscripts. Um, I'd been writing since I was a child. Um, and so, it was just kind of this process of getting slightly closer and slightly closer to the goal. I think in the mid-90s, I had a book nearly accepted for a young adult series and then the series folded. Oh. And, you know, that kind of gave me the juice to keep going. And I'm, gl- I'm glad now that I didn't get that first book published because I think that would have set my career up in quite a different way. Um, but the, I mean, the method I got pub- published was, you know, a fairly tried and true one. I, I kept writing until I was good enough and then I um, met someone who uh, was a good contact and made, um, you know, created goodwill within that network and then um, the, an agent who knew that person uh, picked up my work and liked it and sold it on so it's a really it's it's a very common theme you know do your best work maintain good relationships and and um and that's how you get published so how much is publishing like because we're talking what 17 years approximately if my maths is any good, yeah and not. clearly i was only 11 at the time clearly i mean you were so young <laughs> a child prodigy how how much has publishing changed for you over that time because it's been a fairly turbulent and hectic time in publishing in the in that period that you've been published you know have you has it has it affected you in the sense of you've rethought how you do things or anything like yeah. that? yeah yeah I, I think um um the publishing industry and, and what it goes through um, is, is one aspect of it. But, you know, every author's career also goes through peaks and troughs and mine has certainly been through that. And I've been adaptable um, in terms of, you know, when the market hasn't supported my work, I've changed the work that I do. Um, and um, so, you know, the Kimberly Freeman books were born of the fact that, you know, I felt that I'd said all I could say in the other genre I was writing in, um, at least for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, I, I sort of pitched this book to my agent. She loved it. And she said, oh, well, contemporary women's fiction is doing very well. You know, I think it would be a good, you know, a smart choice um, as well as, you know, something that I wanted to do. Um, and so Kimberly Freeman basically uh, reinvigorated my career and kept me going for several more years until I could get another fantasy book published. Okay, and do you so do you love equally equally writing those genres? Like, are they? No, yeah, I just look. I love writing full stop. When I'm in, when it's flowing, <laughs> when it's flowing, it's the best fun you can have by yourself. Yeah. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I'm making up the stories, and my fingers are flying across the keyboard, and people are like, you know, doing stuff and saying things, and you know, climbing mountains, and. Yeah. You know, falling down and, you know, that it's, it's happening and it's unfolding in front of my eyes. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of putting it all down as quickly as I can. Um, so the actual act of writing, I love no matter what fiction I'm writing. I find nonfiction kind of boring. Yeah. Um, but, um, but in the research phase, um, I, I certainly do prefer the fantasy because I'm, I'm, you know, 
borderline obsessed with Anglo-Saxons and mythology. <laughs> and, and so, and so um, you know, when I said I found writing nonfiction boring, I mostly read nonfiction. I read much more nonfiction than fiction. That's really interesting, but you yeah. don't enjoy writing it. No. <laughs> write what you know, they say. Well, maybe not. Yeah, no, no. Know about what you write. That's where all the reading the nonfiction comes yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, so you've also written children's fiction in the past. Is that something yeah. that you will go back to as well? Um, maybe. Uh, I don't have time at the moment. No. I've got a really good idea for a children's book at the back of my mind um, for a book for a girl who's about eight, which is my daughter's age, and I occasionally get incredible mother guilt thinking if you were a really good mother, you would write this book for your child who's eight while she's still eight because <laughs> if I leave it until I'm out of contract, I won't write it until she's 12 um, and then she won't be interested in it. So, oh, And it'll have to be longer. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> uh, but um, but generally speaking, I um, I I don't write for children. I there are a few reasons for that. Um, I I feel that what I I guess writing for children, I do feel a little bit that I have to put the brakes on. Right. So you know, people yes. can't swear and have sex and yeah. kill each other with you know broken Gusto. glass. Gusto. Yeah, <laughs> or gusto, <laughs> or both. <laughs> All right, so tell us about the books that you have coming out this year. What can we expect? Okay then, so Evergreen Falls comes out in um, September and this is a Kimberly Freeman book. And um, I um, pitched it to my agent as The Shining Without the Supernatural in the 1920s. (laughs) So it's about a group of people who go up to a a posh hotel, a very, very posh, expensive hotel in the Blue Mountains in 1926. Um, uh, and, and a one wait, well, there's more than one waitress, but the main character is a waitress who's based on my, my grandmother who worked in posh hotels in the 1920s. Oh. And she goes, she's up there as well. Um, a really um, heavy snowfall comes in. They get cut off. Um, while there's just a few of them left, there's only, I think, six or seven of the, of the guests left. And um, while they're cut off, something horrible happens. <gasps> And when they come back down, nobody ever speaks of it again. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the main sort of story. And, and, it, and wrapped around that is the story of um, a young woman who comes to the Blue Mountains um, in the present um, who's dealing with her own sort of family mystery. Ah, yeah. So it's it's you know it's all it's all family mysteries and you know forbidden love and yeah, and stuff like that and frocks nineteen twenties frocks, and I I tell you my grandma wrote uh, wrote her memoir before she died she didn't publish it she just wrote it for us and that section of her time working at the big posh hotel in the nineteen twenties I have read it now so many times wow. and every dress that's described in the book comes out of grandma's memoir oh wow how exciting word for word yeah word for word I didn't have to do I didn't have to go and look up the costume guide I just took it out of grandma's (laughs) book so if anyone says that's historically inaccurate well I can tell them to get bent thanks grandma (laughs) <laughs> oh, and I should tell you about my other book. Sorry. Yes, you should. Um, yes. So in November, um, I have a fantasy novel coming out. It's sort of like historical fantasy set in a kind of an alternative version of Anglo-Saxon England. Um, and it's about five daughters of a, a, a chieftain, a king, um, and um, something bad happens to the king and the five daughters have to sort it out and they're all really interesting and there's a really cool you know, warrior princess and there's a, you know, a Viking king and there's a magic sword. <laughs> it's just, just, you know, that kind of All stuff. stuff. I love it so much. It's so cool. I love that book so much. I can't wait for people to read it. Fantastic. And I don't care if only five people 
buy it as long as those five people love it as much as I loved writing it. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm lining up for it. Sounds great. Sounds like my kind of thing. (laughs) Thank Um, you. So let's talk about your publishing schedule then. Like how do you organize it when you've got – so you've got the two coming out quite close together here. Do you do you plan a book a year for each name? Is it more oh, haphazard? How does it work? It's somewhere in between those two. So if, if somebody offers me a contract, I, I don't say no. I mean, why would I? Yeah. I would be insane yeah. <laughs> to, to say no to book contracts. So I take them. And I try to sort of work out where they're going to fit. And one of the problems has been that with uh, Kimberly Freeman, the last three Christmases, I've had a book due in February. Ah. Um, and so I've got my kids with me on school holidays mm. and I'm trying to finish a book on a tight deadline. And it's been, you know, slightly unpleasant. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to be a bit wiser this time and seeing if I can get a different um, due date. Um, but, um, oh, it doesn't take me long to write a book. I think that that's really the key. And I think this answers your first question as well. Yes. Um, so the books that are coming out this year are number 25 and number 26. And, and you'd think that by number 26, I would probably know how to do this with a minimum of fuss. Mm. And and that is the case. I mean, it's like anything that you've done heaps, you just get better at it. You know, like the first time you make a lasagna, it's a huge mess and it takes you two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the 50th time you've made it, you know, it, you're a finely honed machine. And, and I'm, I'm entering the finely honed machine phase. Um, and so, um, I mean, if you've got people out there who uh, are writers, which I presume you do, you may well want to be asking, am I a plotter or am I a, am I a pantser? Well, I'm a plotter. That's right. how books okay. written quickly and that's how they come out the right shape that don't require much structural feedback and you can just get on with the line edit and publish the damn thing. So, so you, when you say you're a plotter, you're a spreadsheet kind of plotter, like every scene, every et cetera? God, like you... Spreadsheets are awful. Okay. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that... It, it, the, the the problem is that these terms, plotter and pantser, and for those who don't know, pantser means flying by the seat of your pants, just sort of making it up as you go along. Um, they're, um, it's a false dichotomy. I don't think they're the opposite of each other. I think they exist on opposite ends of a spectrum. And um, everyone is sort of on that spectrum somewhere. Yeah. And people will say they're pantsers, but if you say to them, oh, do you have any ideas for any key scenes? They They have. They kind of know where the book's going. Right. Um, and there are people who are right up the other end of the plotting uh, spectrum who really do, yeah, they need to dot point every scene and spreadsheet it and so on. I um, I have a general idea of how the story's going to flow from beginning to end, like where the major transition points are, where the beginning becomes the middle, yeah. where the middle becomes the end, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of divide it up and sort of brainstorm ideas and sort of put them in some kind of order. And then from that... You know, so for maybe I'll brainstorm the beginning with a bunch of scenes or brainstorm part of the middle. Um, and then, you know, I plot maybe two chapters ahead um, okay. in, in quite a lot of detail. And that means that when I sit down to write, when I turn off the internet and have my two hours, I look at my notebook and I go, okay, well, I've got to write a scene where Sam and Violet meet in secret and, you know, they go and dance in the empty ballroom while the snow falls, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. And um, And I even go as far as to sort of, before I sit down at my computer, I work out the first line and the last line of the scene. Wow. And that means that I never sit down at my computer and am unable to write. Right. You know exactly where you're going, basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty efficient. I'm pretty efficient. 
Do you work mm. on, so with your two books that you've got coming out this year, for example, did you work on them at the same time or do you have quite I, clear delineations? No, no, I have never worked on two books at the same time. Okay. Um, in fact, what happened was Daughters of the Storm I wrote in 2010 and um, I finished it and it didn't feel like it was right and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. Um, so I put it aside for a year and wrote a Kimberly Freeman book, then pulled it out, brushed it off, tried to edit it, still didn't feel like it was right, sent it away for some feedback to someone who I really trust, um, got some great feedback on it and then I just didn't get time to work on it again um, until last year and then as soon as it was finished, I had to rewrite the whole middle um, and as soon as it was finished, it was um, it was, uh, it was accepted for publication. So. It was worth doing that extra work on it. Wow. Okay. Do you feel that the teaching that you do, like it's obviously, you know, fairly high level and quite time consuming as well, I would imagine, but do you feel that that helps with your own writing? Hmm. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, no, it doesn't. Um, I think one of the things about um, being a lecturer at university that people don't understand is that less than half your job is teaching. Yeah. And um, uh, and a lot of that teaching is actually made up of supervising postgraduates and so on. Yeah. Um, so in terms of supervising postgraduates, yes, you absolutely do learn so much from working on other people's manuscripts, you know, where you go, oh, wow, look, they're doing that. <laughs> Mental note, never do that. <laughs> or, oh, oh, they, you know, if they're fantastic and I have a lot of fantastic postgraduates, I've got a lot of postgraduate students who are, you know, multiple published authors you'll read what they do and just get so inspired by it Um, but um, in terms of sort of teaching undergraduates and grading papers and stuff like that no it's just a huge pain in the ass okay fair enough that makes sense but I don't do a great (laughs) deal of it you know I mean as I said half the job is um, you know sort of writing reports and writing um, um, research papers on you know sort of esoteric topics that no one ever reads Great. <laughs> Maybe that's why you don't like non-fiction very much. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's probably exactly why I don't like non-fiction. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the idea of the author platform because uh-huh. you, know, you have been um, doing this, as you say, for quite a long time. What are your thoughts on this business of author platforms? Because it is something that we've seen, you know, it's become very much a buzz term in the last few years. Um, how important is it, do you think? Oh, wow. Look, you know, I just did a a 20-minute TED talk on this in March and it's just gone up on YouTube. So, if people want to look on YouTube for Kim Wilkins' TEDx UQ. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I talk about this at length. Um, We are encouraged to be on um, as many uh, sort of social media as we can and and have as much sort of author, digital um, author platform as we can. And when I say encouraged, I, you know, really there's not much of a, you know, it's not really voluntary. No. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty much mandatory. Yeah. Um, and um, that's all well and good and it is a lovely way to get in touch with people and, you know, my sort of social media poison of choice is, is Facebook and it's been wonderful to connect with my readers and everything on Facebook. But it, it does represent a huge potential um, time sink. Right. And energy sink too, I might add. So we really do have to balance the need to be, you know, the the, the creative nature, what you need to do to be creative. You have to balance those needs against your need for constant shallow affirmation, which is what social media give you. Um, So you have to be in control of it. You need to use it for good instead of evil. Um, And, you know, that's really, really important. Because what happens is... um, 
you know, have you ever found yourself waiting for five minutes somewhere, just five minutes, just say you're waiting at the gate for your kids to come out of school, what do you do? You pull your phone out of your pocket and you go on Facebook or you check your email. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, you would have just looked at the trees. And I think that we need to do more looking at trees. You know, we, we need to do more sort of reflection, just yeah. quiet reflection. And we need to just wait because when, you, when you're waiting and reflecting, the ideas come. Yeah, that's very true. When your mind is busy... Yeah, and our minds are busy all the time, you know. And, you know, what happens when you're busy all the time or when you've got that feeling of busyness upon you all the time, you know, life just flies past. It flies past at a rate of knots and you find yourself saying things like, you know, oh, goodness, February's almost over and, gosh, I'm so busy. You say say it to people. People say, how are you? And you say, I'm busy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, it's so true. And we're not busy. We're not that bloody busy. No, but our heads are busy, aren't they? That's the problem. Step away from the internet. Exactly. And if, if you can just focus even a little bit, even if you can't make the big a holistic change in life and, you know, do the yoga and knit your own yogurt and everything. I think it's really, really important just to make time for reflection, to be present in, in, in the moment. And so, yeah, next time you get that urge, that twitch reflex to get out your phone and go on Facebook, don't. Look at a tree. And, and I swear to you, you do that more often. Your life improves. Time slows down. You have better relationships and you write better. Given the, that's coming from you, who sounds like one of the busiest people in the world, I will yeah. take that advice on board. <laughs> um, speaking of advice, let's uh, talk about your three main pieces of advice for people who want to be writers. Oh, yep, no problem. Um, who want to be writers. Okay, I'm not going to talk about craft. I'm going to talk about sort of personal disposition. Is that okay? That's fantastic, yep. Oh, okay then. So they all. I've, I've actually spoken about them all in this interview. Um, uh, the first one is um, have good work habits. Have excellent work habits. Don't, you know, go and check the internet all the time. Um, make sure that you make your time to write, make it a priority and, and sort of maintain good writing hygiene. Um, the second one is uh, build and maintain um, good relationships because good well, goodwill in the industry is um, one of the most in, you know, important things uh, that you can have. And the third one is uh, be prepared to diversify. You know, um, don't say, all I ever want to write is paranormal romance for teenagers and never vary from that. Be prepared to diversify and explore other aspects of your craft and your creativity um, and you've kind of got more of a chance of, of, um, of writing success. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really, really appreciate it. You've given us a huge amount of fantastic information there Um, and very best of luck with both of your books coming out later this year thank you okay see you later bye i hope you enjoyed the interview i'm alison tate also known as al tate and i'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series the mapmaker chronicles and the adaban cipher My books are available in Australia, the US, the UK and other territories and are perfect for young readers aged 9 or older. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Build Your Author Platform, will give you a step-by-step blueprint on the exact steps you need to take to ensure that you build your profile and, of course, ultimately, sell more books. Created by author Alison Tate. 
the course covers what you must have on your website, how to use social media effectively, what you need to do to get more readers, how to take your platform offline and into the real world, like speaking at festivals and book clubs, and how to create an engaged community that will help you to spread the word about your book. And you'll discover why it's so important to do this even before you've finished writing your novel. So get started now before it's too late. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash platform. If you get just one thing from that interview, it's that Kim loves to write. I love how she said, I don't care if only five people buy the book as long as they love reading it as much as she loved writing it. That's so cool. And her three top tips, well, they basically summarize what so many writers say. One, have a good writing habit, whatever that means to you. Write every day or write every week, whatever, as long as it's a habit. And of course, building good relationships is essential if you want to make a successful career as an author. If you never get out to writing events or promote the work of other authors, you can easily miss out on opportunities to meet agents or publishers. It's not all about who you know, but gee, it helps. And that last point, which is so interesting, prepare to diversify. If you write the same thing over and over again, or if your writing never changes, you have less chance of being successful. Some people are afraid to experiment or they stick doggedly to their one idea and that's fine if you're writing for yourself but if you want to be published you do need to be prepared to be flexible and to take feedback. If you want to find a writing community that could just be the tribe you're looking for go to writerscentre.com.au and sign up to our weekly newsletter. I'll see you on the other side because if you hit reply to that newsletter I really do receive those messages.